This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for February 1st. Alberta proposes what critics say is Canada's most restrictive transgender rights policy. We'll talk to a Calgary-based advocacy group vowing to take that new policy to court, and the Alberta Teachers Association reacts. Plus, the new youth gender policy draws sharp criticism on Parliament Hill. Alberta MP Randy Boissonneau joins me. And the Power Panel weighs how the politics around the policy could play out. We begin with sweeping changes to Alberta's youth, gender identity, sports and surgery policies. I am confident that Albertans do not want children to make irreversible decisions that impact their reproductive health. I am confident that they do not think that those are child decisions to make, that those are adult decisions to make. I am also confident that parents love their kids and they want to know what's going on with their kids. doesn't matter what perspective they come from. They want to make sure that uh, they're walking the journey with their child every step of the way. And anyone who's trying to put roadblocks in that child-parent relationship, they've got to, I, I don't think they have public support. Among the changes proposed, hormonal treatment, puberty blockers, and gender-affirming surgery will be prohibited for children aged 15 and younger. Students aged 15 or under will now require parental consent to use a new name or pronoun at school. A key change is that parents will have to opt students in to every lesson about sex education, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The law right now requires one notification and the ability for parents to opt out. And transgender women will be banned from competing in women's sports leagues. But the province says it's working to set up gender-neutral divisions. Danielle Smith and her cabinet are, quite honestly, the last people who should be inserting themselves into people's lives this way. Ironically, Danielle Smith has actually taken away their freedom of choice. At its core, Danielle Smith is playing dangerous politics with the lives of young people. The message today is what kind of Canada do we want? Like what are we creating here? What are we trying to create here? What is she trying to create here? What is the Conservative Party trying to create here? A Canada where there is no diversity? Where if you're different you don't matter? Is that where we're at? Because that is unacceptable. Okay, we're going to start tonight with reaction from leaders in the trans community in Alberta. Some are already promising legal action. Amelia Newbert is the managing director of Skipping Stone, a Calgary-based organization supporting trans youth. Amelia, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. What what is your reaction? What have you been hearing uh, from uh, the Alberta trans community about these changes? Um, I think we're hearing uh, folks being terrified, um, being fearful, and uh you know with good cause uh i think we've seen uh we have a government in this province right now uh that year after year after year has taken stances and put into place policies that have eroded the trust between the government and and our community uh and this is this is just the uh the next and most dramatic sort of step of that and 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 i think you know the premier talks about not wanting to to politicize things but these policies are in place for presumably political reasons um and uh they're going to cost the lives of trans and gender diverse youth okay terrified and fearful help me understand that better why would what is announced today terrify people why would they be afraid of this help people understand that because i 
you know, I think for a lot of members of the community, and, you know, I can speak for, for myself, too, as not only somebody who works day in and day out with trans folks, but who is a trans person myself, uh, it, it has been a consistent struggle for us to uh, be affirmed, to have rights sort of explicitly spelled out in law, um, to kind of grasp at, at every step we can make to uh, to create a, a society, a world that, that has a bit more space to us. And these policies indicate a really substantial clawing back of, uh, of the rights uh, of the sort of explicit actions towards including trans and gender diverse folks, trans and gender diverse youth, but folks of, of all ages. And um, that idea of rights being clawed back is terrifying. You said this will cost lives. Uh, the premier said today that uh, this is being done to protect young people, to stop them from making irreversible decisions, in her words, uh, until they're legally an adult. What's your reaction to that? Uh, I think, you know, when we, I, I think there's so many facets of this. And, and as I, I'm sure uh, folks could feel like we could spend, you know, days unpacking these these sweeping changes. But you know, we do know that because of the discrimination, because of the trauma that trans and gender diverse youth are exposed to, there is a significantly higher rate of suicidality and self-harming behaviors. But we also know, you know, we see it in research, and I can tell you anecdotally, we support thousands of trans and gender diverse youth, adults, families each year in the province that if we get three simple pillars in place, we can nearly completely reduce those risks of suicidality. And two of them are timely accident, timely access to competent and affirming healthcare and a supportive, inclusive and welcoming school. And these policies look at kind of cutting the legs out from the ability to access those two, two of these sort of three pillars. And so when I talk about it costing lives, um, that that's what I'm talking about is is eliminating the ability for youth to be able to be resilient and navigate a world that often has so little space to include trans folks. The premier, as we've seen in Saskatchewan and in New Brunswick, uh, you know, from from the governments there, ha has argued in favor of a parent's right to, to be involved in these decisions, to be notified in these decisions, and there are a lot of parents out there who have empathy uh, for what the premier is advocating. They're wanting to be informed about such significant choices uh, when it comes to their kids, you know, even from a, something uh, like a name change in school. Why, what's the argument against parental involvement there, based on the way the premier's laid it out there? What's the argument back? Um, we have, and, and again, this is when we talk about sort of politicizing issues, I can tell you, like, as an organization supporting trans and gender diverse youth, our focus is on ensuring that that family unit stays together as much as possible. We see the research uh, to back that up, to go, youth do better when they're connected to family. But coming out to family, the stakes are really high. These are people who are at the center of our support groups. And Sometimes it's essential for youth to ha need the space and have the space to come out, you know, try 
na- different names or pronouns gain some some confidence, gain a bit of a support network before that conversation um, that's being had with families or with caregivers. It's really about setting youth up for for success and by extension, setting that family up for success where we're going to be able to sort of create a, an opportunity for uh, parents to sort of learn um, and gain skills to be as supportive of their kiddo as possible. Mm-hmm. So this is not a, a, a thing on two sides. Everyone wants um, par- supportive, inclusive parents to be um, in the lives of trans and gender diverse youth. It's just to get there. Sometimes there's there's a little period of time where kiddos need to connect with connect with friends have a space amongst their peer groups and and those peer groups are so often in schools Mm. to just gain a little confidence so when they come out to their families it can be as successful as possible your organization and egal canada are are promising legal action talking about legal action Uh, what would be the basis of a, of a legal challenge here against the Smith government's policies. Do you know at, at this point without seeing the full implementation plan? Uh, I think the, the specifics of the action um, are going to depend on on that implementation plan. And, and certainly we heard today that that, that plan is now not going to come out uh, to the fall. And we still don't have an idea of what it looks like in terms of combination of policies, guidelines, legislation. And so um, there there is a lot of opacity that we're seeing from uh, from the government right now. Um, but certainly, uh, as far as, you know, we're concerned on a fundamental level, we see, um, you know, the, the enjoyment of being welcome and being included in space and having access to public services and supports. Um, that access, uh, the ability to be able to access those things by trans folks is protected um, explicitly in the Alberta Human Rights Act and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, their gender identity and expression are protected grounds by which they are allowed equal and equitable access to those services and to those supports. And so removing any of those supports, um, prohibiting access to healthcare or affirming um, places of education uh, is a fundamental threat and violation of the rights of, uh, of those trans and gender diverse youth. Uh, Amelia, I wonder if you could just help me with a final point. Uh, I, I, looking at the most recent data available, there's about 12,500 trans and non-binary adults in Alberta um, over the age of 15 uh, of a population of 4.3 million people. So it's like a fraction of 1% uh, of the population. How many trans and non-binary kids are we talking here? Like this is a pretty sweeping policy. I, 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 I'm struggling to get a quantum on just how many people are directly affected by this and why it has become such a massive political issue based on the population size. What's your best estimate, your organizations, on how many under 15 kids there are who, who fit into these categories you're trying to regulate here? Um, I would say, you know, I would sort of look at these and, and again, it goes back to that point about, I don't know how, uh, regardless of what the premier says, I don't know how this is not uh, politicizing an issue for political gain or political leverage. Um, you know, when we look at how many trans and gender diverse uh, kiddos are there when you bring that up, like under 15, um, you know, I would say in the work that we do, um, 
the majority of the folks that we're supporting are over 18. Um, we do see uh, quite a bit of support for trans and gender diverse folks who are kind of 15 to 18. Um, and then there is support for kiddos who are under 15, but that, that you know, kiddos, I think, who have that awareness, um, who know who are, who are willing to sort of share that, are definitely kind of the, the minority of the group that we support. And, you know, nobody, I think, especially at that age, uh, is talking about, and I don't know where all this rhetoric comes from, that kids under 15 are going to be exposed to, you know, surgeries that sort of have irreparable changes on their body. Um, kiddos who are under 18 in Alberta right now can't access those surgeries. And so I think this is all kind of feeding into this rhetoric about, um, you know, the, the harm that's going to come to, you know, five-year-old children when at its core, what are we talking about when we're talking about supporting trans youth? We're talking about like, do we teach our kiddos that they are worthy of unconditional love no matter who they are? Or are we teaching shame and concealment to people that they need to be or apologize for who they are? And I live in a province and I want to live in a province where we teach unconditional love. If there are people who are clouding that issue, it's definitely for political or ideological gain because I don't see how we don't want to teach affirmation, acceptance, and love of our children, no matter who they are. Amelia Newbert, Managing Director of Skipping Stone. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Now let's get the view from the classrooms of Alberta. Jason Schilling is the president of the Alberta Teachers Association. Jason Schilling, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, th these are significant changes uh, for policy in Alberta. What is your reaction in terms of how this will play out in the classrooms and schools of your province? Well, I'm deeply concerned about the effect that this will have on the relationships that teachers have with uh, some of our most, our most vulnerable students that we see in our education system and with their families as well. Um, I think that uh, there are a lot of unintended consequences here that have been made by this government. Um, and I really wish that they would have taken time to consult with the association with teachers about any kind of policies or regulations that they were thinking about in this in this issue. How do you think it will, will uh, break that trust? I, I, I've seen quotes where you said you're worried about a chilling effect. How, how do you see that practically affecting the day-to-day -day relationships and, and, and processes in school? You know, as a teacher, our, our, our primary concern for myself and my colleagues is the safety of our students to make sure that they feel secure, that they feel safe, that they're comfortable at school and that they're there to, to learn. Um, when you put in uh, measures like the ones that are being proposed here that say, you know, a teacher must um, out you essentially to uh, your family if you are struggling with your identity and you disclose um, because you trust your teacher with uh, this help. Um, or with this with this uh, you know, issue that you're struggling with, that is going to put a, a chilling effect on on the relationship that you see in schools. And there's also other provisions that were announced uh, yesterday, and then were reiterated again here today at the press conference that you know schools will have to do an opt-in feature with when it comes to instruction around these areas, um, which is adding extra burden on my already busy colleagues in schools. And then finally, it wasn't mentioned today, but yesterday, this notion of the government now is going to have to approve any kind of materials um, that are used in uh, educational purposes for, uh, you know, sexual um, or human sexuality. And that's taken out of the hands of the, the teachers and school boards on that professional autonomy that they have. 
The, the opting in uh, component of this, what do you think that means for sex education and gender education in schools? I, I know, I think the current policy, correct me if I'm wrong, is you can opt out of these things, mm -hmm. but opting in sort of changes that dynamic. How do you see that uh, affecting things? Well, and it's a change I don't quite understand, quite honestly, when you have this measure already within the Education Act that is working, that schools do notify families if there is going to be um, instruction that is on uh, sex human sexuality, parents can opt out. That's always been the choice. I've had parents opt out of courses, of uh, subjects that I've taught, um, you know, novel studies, for, for example, things like that. To opt in now adds this extra level of burden of um, schools and, and teachers to make sure that all of their students are um, getting forms back in. And I don't know if anybody who's ever tried to deal with uh, forms for a field trip list knows what that's like. Um, it's, it's adding an extra layer. And now we have a group of students uh, potentially who will not be getting education. Uh, uh, instruction on these topics in school. We, we've seen some uh, activists argue that this goes even further than Saskatchewan, this goes even further than New Brunswick because some of the measures that were there, it, it was unclear from the Premier's comments today as to whether teachers or doctors or people who don't comply with these regulations could potentially face any kind of discipline or consequences. You said you wish there had been more con consultation. Were you consulted at all? Do you know of any groups who were consulted at all on this policy before it was uh, sort of rolled out in a video last night and, and then followed up with the press conference today? Not consulted at all. The first time I heard that we were going to hear some uh, form of policy or regulation on this was on the Premier's uh, radio talk show that she has on Saturday, and then until we saw the video drop yesterday. Uh, no consultation there, and I know that my colleagues are very concerned about uh, what this could mean for them in their classrooms and, and how it can damage the relationships that are really important with their students and with their students' families, because we know that parents are pivotal uh, to the success of students in school, and that's ultimately what we want to see. This is an issue, the question of, of gender fluidity and trans rights, uh, especially amongst kids, that has taken up a lot of space uh, in the political conversation. As I said, this is the third province uh, to move on this. But the population on, on this, Jason Schilling, I wonder if you can help me. I, the most accurate and recent data I have says there's about 12,480 trans or non-binary people in Alberta above the age of 15. So the what would be considered more of an adult population. Now that's out of 4.3 million people. Mm -hmm. How many trans kids are we talking about in the school system in Alberta? It seems like the number has to be very small because in the adult population, as a share of the overall population, it's a fraction of 1%. That's a really great point, and it's one of the things that I struggle to understand why we're putting these measures in place. We're talking a very small population of our students who are marginalized, who are at the most at risk for suicide, who are at the most at risk of being um, homeless and uh, unhoused and living in the streets. We need to do everything that we can to protect these children, and uh, the measures that we see coming out today um, I, I don't know how uh, that's going to affect these students. And in school, one of the places that where a lot of we that we know that these students feel safe at, um, it's probably some of, for some of them their safest place. And uh, we need to make sure that that uh, that trust factor and that safety is is there. I feel like we've taken a very nuanced, complicated, sensitive, and private issue between students. Uh, their families, their doctors, um, where it may spill into school, and have taken a sledgehammer to it.
They, they also, there are policies here on schools, right, uh, to stop people who were uh, biologically a boy or a man at, at birth who now identify as a girl or a woman later from being on a, a girl's uh, sports team. Uh, again, is this something that happens with frequency at, at scale uh, in, in the system? Like, is this something of, of a specific quantum that, that requires uh, policies like this? Again, I think we're talking about a small uh, group of individuals across the province. I don't know too much specifically about the, the stats around that. We'd have to see um, what kind of consultation is done with uh, these organizations. But again, I get the sense from what I've seen at uh, the uh, press conference and the announcement yesterday that there still has to be quite a bit of consultation done on this. And I question what has been done so far that would put these measures in place. Well, here it is, February 1. Uh, I don't know when the school year, the next school year begins in Alberta, I don't know, probably you know, right around September. I, some school provinces start in August. Do, do you think you can have this dealt with uh, by the time the, the new academic year begins for, for, your, for your teachers? Well, we'll see schools, yeah, start roughly around uh, late August, early September. Everybody starts a little bit different. Um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what kind of consultation the government is willing to do, how serious they are about that consultation, and just how serious they are in taking the advice that is provided by the people who are working in schools day in and day out with these students. And uh, I know my colleagues uh, care a lot about the kids that they, they work with. Um, I've worked with many students who have struggled with identity issues through the course of my career, and and I would just say to those students that your teachers and your schools um, support you. They're here to care for you. They're here to make sure that you're safe and successful in school. And we will keep that uh, top of mind as we work through the next couple of months around what these regulations look like. Jason Schilling, president of the Alberta Teachers Association. Thank you for your time today, sir. Thanks very much. For children who identify as transgender, I want you to also know that these policies are being implemented in order to protect the choices you have regarding altering your physical body until after you've grown mature enough to make such choices safely and with a full understanding of what that means for the rest of your life. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith is rolling out a sweeping gender identity policy for young people in her province. Here with Federal Reaction is Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Official Languages, Randy Boissonneau, who of course is also an Alberta MP for the riding of Edmonton Centre. Minister, welcome back to the show. Thanks, David. Uh, you heard there from Premier Smith who said these policies are designed to protect LGBTQ plus youth from irreparable harm. What's your response? Nothing could be further from the truth. I watched that uh, warm, fuzzy video that's full of discrimination and then spent the night consoling people in my province who were crying on the phone, uh, telling me how terrified they were offering to help me as a federal minister to defend them in Alberta against a premier who's basically um, decided that the entire LGBTQ community is in her crosshairs. And I can tell you this is worse than anything I would see Jason Kenney do, worse than anything I'd ever see uh, Ralph Klein do, and both of those statements are pretty loaded. Now let me say this too. In Alberta, the vast majority of parents love their kids, whether they're trans a non-binary, queer, LGBT, but that's not the case for all kids, David. And I can see the stat, like the stats are on the ground in my city of Edmonton, in Calgary, in smaller centers, where 50% of youth homeless come from the LGBTQ community because some parents kick out their kids when they come out of the closet. And I can tell you that when I told my parents at 28, it was the last conversation I had to have with anyone in my network because it's right. the hardest conversation. 
it's the hardest conversation because you don't know if that's it. And you don't know if that's going to be the case. And I can say happily that we got a progressive province, but Danielle Smith does not speak for trans youth, for the LGBTQ community, or the loving parents that want to see those people do well. And this is dangerous for youth in Alberta. So, so what is it specifically about the plan she outlined that terrifies people? You know, the, the age requirements for policies in, in the health system, or is it the notifications in the edu- education system? Where, where is the, the main uh, stress point that you, as you see it? So you put your finger on it. And so let's go back to those kids for whom family life is not safe. Right. So what they have is a, is a school environment that over time has been made more safe by, uh, by teachers, by civil society, and the premier wants to take that away. Why? Because she's going to mandate teachers that if you see a queer kid or you see somebody that wants to you know, try the different pronoun, you've got to call the parents. Now, so the teachers have to out the kid. The teachers have to out the kid, and that, that, that is your agency as a person is... If you're going to come out as non-binary or you want to change your gender over time or you're, you're a lesbian or you're gay, you got to tell people at your own time and in your own, in, at your own pace. And this is going to make schools not safe for people. And it's also going to mean that we're going to have a bunch of vulnerable kids looking over their shoulders wondering who's going to out them to go then tell the teacher to then call the parents. Mm-hmm. Like Parents don't call home when the kids break up with a girlfriend or boyfriend. They don't break when they change. You know, There's a class schedule. So why this? And again, it's going to make things less safe for kids and there's already way too many trans and LGBT kids committing suicide. This is going to end up in more harms to kids. The federal government has no role in education at, at the provincial level. This is constitutionally Daniel mm-hmm. Smith's uh, jurisdiction. But you do on health. And, and, and they have put policies on the table here that would have age requirements and other conditions for things like hormone replacement therapy, puberty, uh, hormone therapy, mm-hmm. puberty blockers, and, and then a higher age level for uh, the surgical options that are uh, more permanent options. Mm-hmm. What is your concern there? What, do you have a concern with that? Because a lot of parents may look at that and say, this makes sense to us. So there's disinformation in the Premier's video. Those, those top surgeries, for example, can't happen until you're the age of majority. Right. So there's falsehoods in her video. Um, and I think that what's really important here is to realize that kids need to be able to grow and be who they're meant to be. And nobody can, should be, have the power to out you. And teachers shouldn't be mandated to do that. And the premier of the province doesn't have the power to tell somebody what their gender should be or whether they should be straight or LGBTQ2. That, that is for a person to decide. And we don't need the heavy hand of the state uh, shaping the lives of kids. It's not on. Right. And I accept your point. The surgeries, you have to be the age of adulthood to be able mm-hmm. to do that. Puberty blockers, hormone uh, options, these other drug treatments that they've put the age requirement on. Does the federal government have an issue with that? Because I know you were asked a lot today about whether you would yep. hold back health transfers, depending. I know you need to see the implementation plan before you can deal with that. But on its face, is that something that you think is a problem? Is that part of the policy that is terrifying people so, as you described it? I'm going to look at the regulation and the legislation very carefully. And let me say this, that um, when it comes to a medical decision Mm. that a young person is taking, that is a decision that should be between them and their medical practitioner. That is, so what is the premier doing inserting herself and the state in between a decision that is between a person and their medical provider and, and and their family? That makes no sense to me. And so the other question then, David, is why? Why is she doing this? Why is she picking on a fraction of a population that is already part of a vulnerable population and going after kids? It's a question that deserves to be asked and 
there's a campaign across the country with conservative governments to go down this path to bring Ron DeSantis-style uh, anti-gay le- anti- legislation and agenda here in our country, and it's dangerous. And you've known me since I've started in politics, and well mm-hmm. before then, I've been in defense of the community and, and basic rights, and I can tell you that I'm going to defend the community on this one. Well, uh, Don Braid, the Calgary mm-hmm. columnist, uh, and, and Rick Bell, you know, not exactly you know, left-leaning liberals and progressives you know, such as yourself, they've posited and written that this is the influence of Take Back Alberta, which is sort of a rural-based, uh, you know, uh, uh, conservative organization that has taken a significant position inside the leadership of, of the United Conservative Party at the, the various riding levels, and that that is what is pulling the government in this direction, because this is not something that was a core issue in the most recent Alberta election, at least not as part of Daniel Smith's policy. Do you think that's what this is? It is, is it the influence of Take Back Alberta? Absolutely. I agree with Don and Rick on this, and I think if you look at Premier Smith's um, campaign to become leader, not there. Certainly not something that was in the last campaign. And I also think there's another reason. I think this is a useful distraction for her from a disastrous scaling up of the childcare system, a healthcare system that she's got money from us to fix and hasn't done, and the fact that there's inadequate housing across the province. Like, she's got some big fires at home, and what does she do instead? She goes after trans kids, and I bet this is something that she and Tucker Carlson talked about when they were hanging out a couple of weeks ago in my city. So what do you do about it? What, I mean, I know you're yep. denouncing it and, yep. and criticizing it and, and showing your allyship to the people who are affected by this. But as a practical matter, what can the federal government do here? Because we've seen ministers say, we'll stand up yep. for the kids and support the kids, but outside of moral political and, and, and vocal support. What can you actually do here because of the jurisdictional issues? Of so in the short term, three things. Right now, letting the kids at home and across the country know that I'm standing with them, that our government is standing with them, and that we're calling out uh, this supposed legislation that's going to be coming in the fall. Secondly, is to be very loud and to mobilize now. And so we've already got the Alberta Teachers Association, the uh, the uh, Social Workers of Alberta, the Canadian Civil Liberties, EGAL Canada has already indicated there will be a court challenge. There are rallies taking place this weekend, and I'm encouraging people in Alberta to write to their UCP MLA because, David, we're going to kill this bill before it even hits the floor of the ledge. That has to be the plan, and I'm going to I'm going to upgrade what you called me. You called me an ally. Right? I'm part of the community and I'm a champion for the community because right now the community needs people to go to bat for them when they're not in the room. And that's what we need is we need champions who are prepared to act. And that's what I and my colleagues in government are going to do. More broadly, like this is the third province to move on policies mm-hmm. in some version of this. So this yep. one may be the, have the, big, the most significant impact in terms of breadth and scale of policies. This is such a small segment of the population. I keep coming back to the data that is available yeah. uh, on the number of people who are trans or non-binary in Canada and kids and you know, uh, you know, men who transition to women who want to play in competitive sports. It, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction uh, of Canada. Why do you think this has become such an outsized political issue? Like, What, what is the benefit to pushing this politically for people? I think in Danielle Smith's case, she's pay- playing to her base. Uh, but it comes at a great cost, a human cost, a, a cost at the individual level, the young person level, people like on my phone last night crying. It's, it's going to take a toll on families. I think this is some of the U.S.-style MAGA politics coming uh, across the border. And I think civil society across the country and, and Canadians have to be very attuned to the fact that 
you know, Premier Mo used the notwithstanding clause when he lost. Uh, Blaine Higgs put legislation on the table that turned things back against youth. What are other conservative governments going to do in this country now that Danielle Smith has gone so far? And to bring in sport, to bring in pronouns, to bring in gender-affirming surgery, things that don't really connect, but they do if it's ideological. But, you know, Mr., there's a lot of parents who want this. They like this. They, they want to be informed. They want to know. They want to have that baked in to the educational system, you know, when they send their kids off and, and want to have that level of awareness. I, I mean, what do you say to parents at home right now who think Daniel Smith is right and that I should know if my kids are going to go through this sort of a change? I would say that I know that this is a confusing subject to talk about, like gender uh, identity is, is a hard thing to talk about. And when I was special advisor back in 2016, I had to learn about the trans community. Right. And think about that. Like, I'm in the LGBTQ community, and how did I learn uh, about, learn from the trans community? By sitting down with people in the community and learning about their struggles and learning about their joys and learning about what they needed us as a government to do with and for them. Danielle Smith has done none of that. She talked to some people in a back room, did a fancy video that makes some people feel warm and fuzzy and terrifies others, and that's not going to help the kids. And we have to protect the kids in our, in our jurisdiction. And I just have to say that, you know, when it comes to parents have, feeling weird about this conversation, that's it. But the parents who love their kids and have good relationship with their kids, guess what? Their kids are going to tell them that they want to try a new pronoun. Their kids are going to tell them that they feel like they're, you know, they're in the, they're in the wrong gender. And so what I'm very concerned about is sticking up for those kids that when this all goes wrong, end up on the street, end up being prostituted, end up dying because they simply don't have the supports. And it's on all leaders to make sure that we keep kids alive. And that includes people in this community. Edmonton Center MP and Federal Cabinet Minister Randy Boston. Thanks for coming on today. Alberta's Premier says parents must have a say in their children's gender decisions and the province is banning gender reassignment health care for those aged 17 and under. These policies include a prohibition on gender reassignment surgeries for minors aged 17 and under, for children aged 15 and under, puberty blockers and hormone therapies for the purpose of gender reassignment will also not be permitted. When you're talking about irreversible decisions, that falls into the category of adult choices. The sweeping policy has drawn sharp criticism from the federal government. Targeting that small minority for some political purpose in Alberta, as it seems that the Premier is doing, is not becoming of her office. To focus in on the most vulnerable segment of our society is reprehensible. This isn't about jurisdiction. This is about keeping kids safe and alive. Okay, uh, how could all of this uh, play out uh, politically and, and across the country? Let's bring in the power panel on that. Chachi Curl is the president of the Angus Reid Institute. James Moore is a former conservative cabinet minister. Andrew Thompson is a former Saskatchewan NDP cabinet minister. And here with me in the studio, Carlene Varian is a former chief of staff to liberal cabinet ministers. A Andrew, let's start with you. you. You heard Daniel Smith. She says this is about protecting LGBTQ youth uh, and their parents' rights. Her critics say this is discriminatory policy that will put kids at risk. What's your take on what we saw play out today? Well, you know, we've talked about this before with Saskatchewan. We've talked about it with um, New Brunswick. What's interesting about this legislation is it's kind of the grab bag of right-wing boogeyman issues all being nipped together here. She's got the gender reassignment stuff. She's going all in against the sex ed. Uh, she's got a, you know, a, a whole bunch of issues kind of tied in uh, to this. 
that's obviously speaking to uh, you know to her base, and I think you know. It seems politically, I mean, others have talked about the merits of the legislation. I thought Randy Boisneau's uh, comments earlier in the show were, you know, really right on in terms of what he was identifying as the problems. But, but politically, she's obviously trying to deflect. She's got a problem with the right wing of her base. She's trying to show that she's still got those kind of, you know, uh, mega cre- uh, street cred things that she's working on. And she's got a set of issues that my guess is parents will look at a number of those different pieces and voters and they'll go, well, I agree with this, I don't agree with that, but it's all lumped together, what do you do? Mm. The big problem here is really on what she's driving towards, which is she's starting to move more and more into the question of what should be decided by doctors and what should be you know, decided by government. And that is a very dangerous step to start to move into. Uh, she's taken this very odd position on sex ed. I mean, sex ed today is a lot different than what I took in the 1970s. I mean, there's a lot more discussion about consent. There's a lot more discussion about uh, online activity. There's obviously much more focus on sexual health and safety. Those pieces are now all essentially put at risk within their system. That's not a great, not a great approach. But she's tying this up into a choice issue, and I think it's just it's a dangerous deflection. James, uh, Rachel Notley said this, this is interfering in a private decision between a youth and their doctor, and Smith is weaponizing their life experience for political reasons. What, what do you make of this state intervention into what Andrew and others say should be maybe a private medical decision? I think Premier Notley's oversimplifying it, but to be fair, I think Premier, or, or Rachel Notley's oversimplifying it, but to be fair, I think Premier Smith is also oversimplifying it. To Andrew's point, and I agree with him, there's actually a lot that's contained in what was announced, and some of it, I mean, depending on your perspective, some of it makes sense, some of it makes common sense, some of it makes no sense, some of it's already happened. For example, the um, some gender reassignment surgery is not permitted for people who are not um, 18 years and above. The sex ed stuff seems odd that you'd, you would actually have to have thousands of teachers across the province of Alberta go to parents and get parents' consent to opt in, and you can imagine the confrontations and discussions, and like teachers are not paid enough for for that, for that kind of a conversation and that and that dynamic, but on the other hand, I think for a lot of everyday Albertans, and I, I imagine Shachi will either has the numbers or will put them in the field soon with Angus Reid. But I think for a lot of Albertans, I think this, there's kind of a common sense element here, and, they, and a lot of Albertans are not going to take kindly to whether it's Rachel Notley or Minister Boissonneau preaching at them, saying that they're endangering and they're going to kill kids. When they, you know, you have to have parental consent to buy a lottery ticket to get a driver's license you can't vote until you're 18 you can't drink or buy a pack of cigarettes but you can make a life-altering permanent decision to your physical makeup without the consent of your parents i i think for for a lot of everyday albertans there's an incongruity there an inconsistency that they're really not comfortable with and they they would like to understand better why it is that demanding consistency makes them somehow um, hateful or putting children at risk in in a way that is against their values and yelling at them and saying that they're anti-Canadian and they they don't care about kids is probably not the best way to build community and to have a proper conversation as adults. Carleen, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, the federal liberals were really strong in in attacking uh, Daniel Smith on this. We've heard silence uh, from the federal conservatives. We're told no comment uh, from from Pierre Polyev's office. What's your thoughts on where this is today? If people ever needed proof that a conservative government would not hesitate given a majority and given the power to do so, to interfere with people's choices in what medical procedures they undergo, there's your proof right there. Um, so if Garbage. you are it's a just- parent, if you are a woman who cares about her ability to make reproductive choices, uh, 
today is a day that you're very, very concerned. Um, there's absolutely no line between choices like that. This is big government intrusion at its worst, and, and perhaps most ironically, it's big government intrusion from somebody who was elected uh, on a wave of support for fighting back against government vaccine mandates. So uh, that's the first thing that I think needs saying right off the bat. Um, in terms of what's common sense and what's not, comparisons to other things that kids require parental consent for do not apply here. No kid has ever been kicked out of the house because they asked their parents for consent to buy a pack of cigarettes or get in the car and drive. We are talking about a small, a small minority of kids and young people who perhaps don't have the kind of safe environment at home in which they can feel free and open and safe to be open with their parents about who they are. Uh, I haven't seen any proof, any evidence in the court cases that have been filed in either of the other two provinces where similar measures have been put forward um, to suggest that there's a problem that needs fixing here. And that's how you know that it really is just about politics, that this is about appealing to that sort of more radical base, like Andrew mentioned, that needs some appeasing right now, and it's doing it at the expense of kids' lives. Okay. James, I'll come back to you in just one second. I want to get Shachi's first take, because I, I know you have some rebuttal there, I, I promise. But Shachi, just uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, without getting into the adjectives of, of what that uh, right of center wild roast base is, the fact of the matter is that what we see among Albertans and among Albertan parents is not necessarily that they want consent. What they want is information. They want to be told, right? It's like, at least tell us, keep us in the loop. We don't want to create a situation where there's things going on at school that we don't know about. When you get into the, the issue of consent, that parents have to sign off. Support for that drops way down. Information only, 78% of Albertans say, yeah, that, that's, a, that's appropriate. Uh, information and consent, that drops to 43%, not the majority. However, 43% is a pretty significant plurality view. There's no judgment for me in whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It is what it is. And the last time we checked Danielle Smith's approval numbers at the end of the year, back in December, she was at 47% approval, far higher than Blaine Higgs, far higher than, than Doug Ford. He would dream about those numbers at night. So the political aspect of this is a winning aspect for Danielle Smith. Well, where the politics and the policy intersect, where, where that starts to really blow up, it's a far different story. And we have to now see, looking forward, how Albertans react to these legislative changes. Do they think it's a step too far? But when it comes to her base, when it comes to the right of center base, they're all in on this. And it's why she's not seen significant blowback so far in talking about these issues. And I doubt we're going to see significant blowback. Um, but, you know, I don't want to prejudge what the numbers will be come March. Okay, James, uh, you wanted to, to get in there. Yeah, Shachi's right. I think this is probably the beginning of a debate. And, and you know, I, I, I said the word garbage a second ago because I, I think the debate matters. And, and if, if I'm, you know, if I'm a parent of a child uh, whose uh, sexual identity is now being chastised, mocked, yelled at, and you see some of the stuff that's being said online right now, I'd be pretty angry at my premier, Daniel Smith, for starting this debate when you would probably have to knock on about 100,000 doors in the province of Alberta to find the first Albertan who would think that this is the number one issue. But the comment that was made a minute ago that, you know, if you ever want to know what a conservative government would look like in taking away choice and going after, uh, please. I was in politics for 15 years. I was a cabinet minister for 10 uh, in a majority conservative government. 
majority conservative governments in of Doug Ford, of Brian Pallister, of Heather Stephenson, of Brad Wall, of Gordon Campbell, of Danny Williams, of Jean Charest, I can go on and on. They didn't do this. There's, there's nuance and there's difference about this. And this sweeping generalization of this is what conservatives do, it's the kind of grade eight language about politics that gets us nowhere when we want to have rational conversations about how to best protect kids. And everybody wants to protect kids here. Now, you can argue that Daniel Smith is being political about this and taking advantage of things and trying to... That's a perfectly reasonable argument that Andrew put in the window there. But this blanched sweeping statements and chastising half the population because you don't happen to have their position on things is is just wrong. And it's ignorant. And it's and it's garbage. Okay. I think I'd have an easier time believing that if we had any sort of comment today from the federal conservative party who instead have been absolutely silent. Right. So, so Andrew, well, I'm one of the founding members of the Conservative Party and a cabinet minister in that party. And there's nuance and differences of opinion. So with respect, there's diversity in the conservative movement, just as there is in other political parties. And cut it out. Uh, Andrew, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I, uh, thanks for coming to me on this. <laughs> Between the two, I mean, I think you know, they're, they're laying out really, I think, both pretty interesting arguments. Uh, on this, I mean, there are a lot of issues that we need to discuss. As you know, our, our society is evolving, and we've got to we've got to figure out how to do that in a respectful way. Um, but it, there is a you know a degree of political gamesmanship here, and I think we we recognize that. I think everybody kind of understands politicians act in political ways. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the question is, what is the potential collateral damage here, and are these the kind of issues? Is this the kind of way to have that uh, that debate? It, it is interesting that she's gone several steps further uh, on this than, than the other premiers dared. Uh, it's interesting that some premiers like Doug Ford, who's a you know, dyed-in-the-wool conservative, obviously, this isn't anywhere on his agenda. I mean, you don't hear this come up at all in terms of um, right. their education approach. They're talking about you know, why we need to have uh, uh, discussion about the Holocaust in the high schools, not uh, this uh, kind of uh, conversation that's being pitched by, um, by other premiers. So, you know, James's point, obviously the conservatives have differences of view. But there is a very strong strain here that does seem to want to bring that American culture war up uh, into Canada. And frankly, I think there's a number of, of liberals that are kind of chomping at the bit for that, too, because it gets off of the distractions around what's going on with the economy. So, so James, just on that diversity of views inside the conservative movement, and, and I take your point, right? There, there are a lot of very socially progressive conservatives, you know, and, and you, the, the ones I covered in Atlantic Canada, for instance. But, you know, we have seen Melissa Lansman, uh, after Andrew Scheer lost the 2019 election, write an article with Jamie Ellerton in the Globe and Mail saying the party needs to change because we don't have a good answer uh, on gay marriage and gay rights. Uh, Eric Duncan, Michelle Rempel, they have all spoken out in favor of this in the past. They've been silent on this one. Why do you think that is? Why are we not hearing? The, 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 I, I, I accept the, the, the sincerity of their views on this, but the, the, their silence is being noted as they're not weighing in on, on these policies. Well, they, I mean, look, they can speak for themselves. They have spoken up in the past on some of these other policies, number one. But two, look, I, there were 100 conservative MPs in 2005 in the House of Commons. There were three who voted in favor of same-sex marriage. I was I was one of them. So, you know, and the conservative movement does have a broad diversity of views. But you mentioned as well, you know, Tucker Carlson comes up to Alberta last week and gives a speech. And there are some people who do want to have culture wars. You know who the happiest person was to see Tucker Carlson in Canada last week? Justin Trudeau, so he can have this debate, so he can dial up the temperature, so we can create this culture. And there are people, of course, who want to have the culture wars on the other side. And I think all this stuff, broadly speaking, 
is and is entertainment at the expense of vulnerable kids and i think that's wrong and i think that's bad and i think that is toxic and i don't like people who play with this on either side which is why the broad sweeping statement that was made earlier got got my back up because i, I do think there's nuance here there are some parts of daniel smith's policy that she announced that frankly don't make any sense there are others that i think for a lot of albertans and a lot of people make some kind of common sense some of them are are are, are kind of are, are weird um but that said let's have a conversation about it and have a discussion about it and let's not sink down to culture war politics and just get angry at each other because it gets us nowhere and the only people who lose are the most vulnerable and that's an ultimate failing. Well, well Shachi, just give you the last word on this. A conversation's good, but like when, when the leading political party nationally isn't saying anything, I, I don't know how you have that conversation with the people who would potentially form that next cabinet at, at the national level. Well, two things really quickly. First of all, if anybody wants to know where Canadians stand on the culture wars and where they situate themselves on that spectrum and within that debate, go to angusreed.org. We did a five-part series on it, <laughs> and, and including gender issues, and that's where I'm drawing some of these data from. But in terms of what the Conservatives are doing, and I don't speak for the Conservative Party. I wouldn't purport to, no matter what the toxic bots on Twitter say. They can go hang for all I care. There is the fact that Pierre Polyev would be politically stupid to take the bait. Why wade into it? He knows he's already drawing, the party is drawing more and more uh, 2021 liberal voters who are starting to come over to the Conservative Party, not over gender issues, not over culture war issues, over economic issues. Uh, the ones who are feeling it the worst, those who voted liberal in 21, who are starting to drift away from the party, are looking for economic solutions. There is absolutely no upside in wading into this politically, you say something even mildly supportive of the of the stance that Danielle Smith, a premier who, you know, by the way, Constitutions 101, provinces are responsible for educational policy, whether it's good policy or bad policy. He weighs into that. He draws the ire of the people who say, stay in your lane, or right. people who actually agree with Danielle Smith. He says something, uh, you know, in the, in the other direction, supportive or otherwise. He risks uh, losing a lot of those uh, soft liberal voters who are starting to give him uh, a kick of the tire, a whiff of the sniff test and say, well, maybe this guy could be uh, our next PM. So there's zero upside for wading into this, which is, I believe, why you've heard nothing right. out of them today. So, Carleen, just a quick final point. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, people praise the conservatives for their message discipline and laser focusing on mm -hmm. axe attacks, you know, fix the budget, stop the crime, mm -hmm. build the homes. In government, you can't just deal with the four core issues. So, so how tenable do you think it is for them to not weigh in on this or offer some clarity on how they feel about this uh, going forward? I think it's going to depend on exactly what the mechanics of Premier Smith's policies actually look like. And, and as she noted today, those are going to roll out over the coming months. If there are ways in which the federal government is able to mount any kind of uh, opposition from their seat to any of this, whether it's through the Canada Health Act or, or elsewhere, that will present a, a, a de facto sort of uh, opportunity and necessity for the opposition party to have a position on that federal position. If not, I think it's going to depend a lot on, uh, on Canadians. And, and just maybe to finish off, I think the reason that you're seeing progressive-minded people take this issue so seriously is because it is such a serious one, um, and, and that's as simple as it is. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Uh, we're out of time, but I want to thank you all for dealing with a couple of heavy topics. Uh, Shacha Curl, James Moore, Andrew Thompson, and Carleen Varian. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.